Let's hear the word of God from a selection of Old Testament passages, also from Mark's gospel. So from Deuteronomy 6, after Moses reproclaims the Ten Commandments to the people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now to Leviticus 19:18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. From Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And finally, to Mark's gospel, chapter 12, starting with verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I've been at Waypoint for seven, eight years now, so this is my first ever double sermons, so I'm excited. I might, when I was at my old church years ago, they're like, the first one's a draft for the early folks and the second one, but I'm not giving you the draft. This is the full, this is the full deal, okay? So good morning. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here, and we're in a four-week uh, sermon series reflecting on our local church and our missions and values and what it means to be a local church. We do this every year, and the 
in August leading into September, just, just to kind of reflect, reorient, re, refocus ourselves on who we're called to be. Normally we go back and forth between the Old and New Testaments. We just finished a series in Jeremiah, and, and in September we'll do a series in 2 Corinthians. But for now, I want us to think about what would it look like to be a person who belongs to the kingdom of Jesus. We call ourselves Christians. Christ is the same word as the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. We're, we're followers of Christ. We're literally, Christians means little Christ. We're part of this kingdom of Christ, this kingdom of Jesus. So what does it mean? And when Jesus came to earth, when God became a human and made his home with his people, what did he say? What did he teach? What did he ask his followers to do? And I love the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because we have this beautiful picture of the teachings of Jesus, and, and it's, it's, it's a way for us to know him and, and be intimate with Jesus. But there's a, a passage that shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it's often called the Great Commandment, or the Most Important Commandment, and it's called that because that's what Jesus says. And it's basically Jesus summarizing the Ten Commandments, as we just read, and he's really summarizing the entire Torah, and he's really summarizing every instruction given in the entire Old Testament. He says the Old Testament is filled with instructions, but let me summarize it in this phrase. He says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, we'll put this up on the screen, and then jumped to verse 29. Or they said, which is the, of all the commandments, they try to trick him a little bit, which is the most important? We, we didn't get the whole context here, but this is probably a trick. They're trying to trick Jesus because there's a lot of commands of Moses. So if he says the most important command is do not do this, then they might say, what about that? And if he says the most important command is to do this, they might say, what about that? And what, how Jesus answers, he says the most important one is this. Here is where Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I Hope that all of you have this memorized. Please memorize it. It's, a, it's, it's the most important one. But then Jesus goes on and says this. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commandments greater than these. So for this morning, I want to answer three questions based on this passage. The first one is, what does Jesus mean in saying that we are to love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength? How long does loving God with our whole being, or how does loving God with our whole being relate to loving our neighbor as we love ourselves? And what can we do to continue to love God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength? So first question, what does Jesus mean in saying that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Um, I'm a lifelong learner, kind of one of those that just loves to learn loves to uh, just gather information. I'm also a teacher. And every time I preach, there's a saying around Waypoint that there's going to be a handout, a dad joke, and a prop. There's no handout today, but there's something like a handout. The staff actually even made, this is my prop. They made a t-shirt for me that says a handout, a dad joke, and a prop. And for those of you who are newer to Waypoint, the dad jokes just come free. They're not in the script, ever. <laughs> They just come to me as I look out and see you beautiful people and, and just and 
the spirit just leads me to the dad jokes. It is funny because Pastor Lawrence's sermon two weeks ago or whatever had a, had a couple dad jokes and some people even alluded to, wow, maybe Danny's rubbing off on him because that was more dad jokes in one sermon than he, maybe he gives in a bunch of sermons. But, but um, oh, this prop too is coming, so you can be excited about that one. But I, don't, I didn't give you a handout today, but I, I do want to do a little lesson. And I want to look at these four words. Um, and we're going to look at the uh, Greek and Hebrew Bible dictionary. So let's, let's, let's jump in and look at these words. And I want you to see what the, the, the hearer from Jesus, what they would th- think about these words. So the first word is heart. And this is the Hebrew. Those little X's on the thing are because, okay, you can see it up there. Um, the, the word literally in Hebrew means heart, the organ, but it also means mind, it means will, it means inner person. And the Hebrew person would have thought your heart is like right here, like this area. And they thought you'd probably, that you'd think here too. So that's why sometimes it's translated as mind. The Greek version of this word is cardia, where we get like cardiac and, you know. So to the Greeks, it would have meant the actual physical organ, but it also would have meant... Uh, your inner self, or your mind. So that's the Hebrew word and the Greek word. So that's what they're talking about. I'm going to read a little more from the dictionary. It just says that from this original meaning of, of a heart, we can also see that it talks about just the ability to think, the ability to judge, the ability to relate, all comes from your heart. And we use this word even in English today. We say that person's heartless. Right? If someone's heartless, or we, we have a similar phrase, but we also have more scientific understanding of kind of that the heart and the mind are different. So, but think of it as this part. The next word is soul. It's soul in the Greek. Um, it's translated that way, but in the Hebrew, it's also can be the breath, the throat, the neck. And then in the Greek, it is psyche, kind of this, the, this thing that is part of who you are. We can put that up. Um, so the word has a wide range of meanings in the Old Testament. So it's, but think of it, think of your soul linked to your breath. It's like the thing inside of you that makes you alive. Like if, if you, if there's an animal and it's dead, it's just sitting there. It doesn't have a soul. So that's how they would think of it in the time, Hebrew times into the times of Jesus. So it's, it's linked to the word breath. It's linked to the word blood. It's the thing inside of you that makes you go. But it's also linked to your spiritual side too. So that, we'll talk about that in a second. The next word is strength. And the Hebrew word for this literally means exceedingly much force or abundance. And the Greek word means exceptional capability. This isn't, the Greek word has an element of physical strength, but it also is more like emotional strength and mental strength and the capacity to endure. So that's kind of what the word is. But in the Hebrew, this word is... You know how in, the, in Genesis 1, it says, like, he created this on this day, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and then it was very good? Same word. Same word. Exceedingly. The best. The, the thing to strive for. The abundance. The best. So we're supposed to love God in that same way. I think it's, it is significant that it's linked to that same word, that the, the final day of creation is very good, abundantly good. And that's how we are to see God. Um, and then the final word is mind. And let me, before we go to mind, so yeah, we're going to look that up. So this doesn't have a Hebrew equivalent. 
Interesting enough, Hebrews didn't, the ancient Hebrew, the biblical Hebrew doesn't have a word for brain. They don't, they, they didn't think of themselves as thinking from up here. They thought you thought here or here or in your kidneys, interestingly enough. And I'm going to show you a couple passages. So let's look at the Jeremiah passage, the new covenant passage that we studied a lot over the last few weeks. It says, this is the new living translation. It says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. This is new living. The ESV also says something like inside them. The uh, NIV says their minds because we know that that's what they're talking about. But if you think about it in the, in the Hebrew, this is the word for heart. Then they had another word for like your gut, your bowels, your womb. It's the same word for womb on a female. It's this part. Um, so they, God would put his instructions deep within them and write it on their hearts. And this is the word heart. If we go to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is, predates the time of the Jesus and the early church, they translate it into the word mind. They translate this inner part into the word mind, but translate this other part into their hearts. Then if we go to the Septuagint, Deut- Deuteronomy 6. You guys hanging with me? You seeing? Okay. All right, look at this. This is cool. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you will love the Lord your God with your whole mind. So the Greek translators, before the time of Christ, this is the Bible that the early Christians read. They read the Greek translation. They had already translated the word in Hebrew, heart, for mind. Um, It says, you will love the Lord with your whole mind, your whole soul, your whole strength. And then it says, these are the words I'm commanding to you, shall be in your heart and in your soul. Then I'm going to go to one other passage. Let's go to Psalm 26.2. This is the ESV, which is a more literal translation. It says, prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Actually, what this says in Hebrew is, test my kidneys and my heart. Because for some reason, they thought there's something about thinking and, and processing in your kidneys. So I want to put you in the mind of these folks as we're coming to this. So what does all this mean? I gave you a bunch of dictionary definitions of the mind, of the heart, of the inner being. The soul would be all of it. What do you think it means? Everything. Your whole being. Every part. I love the idea that they added the mind because the mind was very important to the Greco-Roman people. It wasn't as important... This part, the logic, the word logic doesn't really show up in the ancient Near East, but it shows up in Greece, in ancient Greece. So a lot of our Christianity is based on logic and reason and thinking, but sometimes we forget that the person receiving it from Jesus, a lot of their Christianity was from their body, their soul, how they felt. A common English term would be like, I'm going with my gut. And a lot of you as Christians would probably have been taught as good good solid Bible-believing Christians, don't go with your gut. Don't trust your gut. And we'll talk about that a little later, like why why someone would say that. But to a Hebrew person, like they would probably think the spirit guides their gut, guides their this side. And they but they would also think about their soul and they they would just have this comprehensive picture of a full body. You with me? So what do we got? We got heart, mind, soul, and then strength is just everything we can muster up. All right, so that's the, his, that's the Bible lesson. Now, how does loving God with our whole being relate to loving our neighbors as ourselves? In the next two weeks, 
Peter and Ben are going to talk about, Peter, Ben's going to talk about community, what it means to be gospel community, and Peter is going to talk about what it means to love people on the margins, particularly, to love others who are outside of the area that maybe you would, you would normally go and love. But I want to look at this passage from Jesus. He says in Matthew 7, he says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them to do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. See what Jesus is doing here? He's saying all the things that they said, it's meaningless. If you know God, but you don't do what you would want done to you, it's meaningless. Everything written in the Old Testament is about us loving God and loving others. Then it goes on. Um, sorry. That's the teaching of Jesus. The two are not exclusive. They complement each other. It's, it's not that you love God with your whole being and devote your whole being and then or devote your whole being to loving others. It's not an either or, right? It's love God, love others. James says this in chapter one, and Peter's going to talk more about this in, in a couple weeks, but he says, those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this, to look at orphans and widows in their distress. That is loving others, particularly loving the marginalized, and keep from being polluted from the world. That's staying focused on God. You see how James, it, he, he doesn't separate the two. James goes on in chapter 2, and he, we're just gonna, I'm going to put it up there and summarize it. He just says, what if you meet someone who doesn't have clothes? Or food, and you say to them, Go in peace, keep warm and, and well fed, but you do nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accomplished, not if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. As the body with without the spirit is dead, notice he's using the same language. So faith without deeds is dead. Well, all James is saying here is that if you really love God, it's gonna show up and how you love others. I'm not going to focus on that this morning, but that was in the passage, so I want to allude to it. And then finally, in Galatians 5, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not, you are not to do whatever you want. And I want to, the final dictionary word today is this word flesh. In the Greek, it means having a physical body. The, and, but it also means, it also alludes to human nature in general. That's why in the Bible, when we hear about the word flesh, we say, don't live in the flesh, but live where? In the spirit. That's what this, we get this from Galatians 5. But there's something about our bodies that are important, that our bodies are, we're physical, we're emotional, we're spiritual beings, and there's something about our bodies that have to be guided and led by the Spirit. If not, we're going to turn to another direction. You see, see what's going on here. Then Paul goes on and he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, and he gives a list, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, uh, selfish ambition, dissensions. It's interesting that dissensions and factions are in the same list as extreme sexual immorality. So you see what, what Paul's trying to do here is just say, like, this is the old self. This is not what we're called to. This is not loving God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. These are the, these are the things that will eventually happen if you, don't lead to, if you don't turn to God. 
But it is interesting, this list is very broad. Um, Paul goes on and he, he gives a few more, and then he says this in 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Notice that he's saying, like, that the person who loves God is going to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. What's interesting about the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness. These are things that you generally, they, they can be internal, but they're mostly things that you're doing toward others. You see what Paul's, Paul's taking the teachings of Jesus, the teachings that come from the Old Testament. He's saying, like, to love God. Remember that passage in Deuteronomy we read earlier. What did it say to do with the laws? To walk with them, to put them on your doorpost, to make them a part of who you are. Paul is doing that, and he's saying, as the Spirit fills us, we can actually do this. Interesting thing is, he goes on in the last sentence. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So, we, so that's what it means to love God and love others. And we'll look at this in a second, but I, I want to I talk about one thing, and this is something I'm very passionate about. You could, if you have a conversation with me, you're going to hear me talk about it, is that we worship God within our personalities, our experiences, and our culture. So if you're not a very physical person, and you're not a very emotional person, maybe you won't, you're, um, you, the way you worship God, the way you come to services, the way you read the Bible may not look like other Christians. And you may feel like, oh man, I want what they got. And, and that's not a bad thing. If you see someone who's really excited about God, you should want what they, they got, okay? But at the same time, if their personality is radically different than you, you may never experience it in that way. And that's not a bad thing. God made you exactly how you are. Now we're all growing toward Christ-likeness. So if what they got is Christ-likeness, then you want to go toward that. But if what they got is just they can get more excited in a worship service or they can pray for longer or they're better at Bible study, be careful in comparing yourself to them. It's okay to look to people, to be inspired by people, but make sure that you're not making an idol or you're not becoming legalistic about trying to obtain some kind of formula to get to God, but just say, God... In the personality that you've given me, in the experiences you've given me, in the culture you've given me, how can I go straight to you? That's our goal. How can we just go straight to Jesus? And that's, if you forget everything else I say this morning, I want you to take some time at the end of the service to just reflect, how can I love God with my heart, mind, and strength as God has made me in my present reality and my present circumstances? Going back to this Galatians passage, I'm going to look at it, Galatians 5.26, the last sentence in this this section in New Living. I love this. He says, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. It's interesting. Right after he gives us the list of the fruit of the Spirit, he has to say this. So I think he's saying, like in the church, let's be careful not to compare how we're walking with God with others. Let's just be thoughtful in that. So Peter and Ben are going to share more about how we can do this as a community in the church, outside of the church. For the final thought today, I want to end with this. What can we do to continue to love God? And by God, we mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with all our heart, soul, with all our heart, our soul, our mind, kidneys too. 
gut, kidneys, our mind, and our strength. All right, let's do some, you guys, are, this is nine o'clock, so let's do some exercise. So let's do heart, heart, mind, soul, your whole thing, strength. All right, good, good. All right, Father Abraham, have many times. <laughs> I haven't preached at nine o'clock in a long time. All right, so what can we do? All right, why I have Sheriff Woody up here? This is our kids, and when, when, our, kids were, when our kids were the age, uh, when they were like, I don't know, between one and seven, we would, we would live in China and Boston, and we'd come back to visit family in the summer, and they'd have, at that time, all the kids, this was before Toy Story 3, after Toy Story 3, all the people who are some of your ages were selling all your toys. So our kids would just go to yard sales, and there would just be a bin with tons of toy stories. So they just thought, you just show up at Grammy and Granddad or Mimi and Papa's house, you just walk around on Saturday mornings and you get all kinds of Buzz and Woody toys because kids were, then Toy Story 3 came out and no one got rid of their toys anymore because of the nostalgia of Toy Story 3. But this is, this is our kids. But this is an illustration because I'm gonna tell you a story about a little guy in our church. He's four years old and his parents have been sharing him some Bible stories. And he came to them the other day. They, they gave me permission to share the story. And they said, hey, mom and dad, can, is it okay if Woody is Jesus? And they thought about it, and they were like, sure. You know, they just didn't know what to say. Then they walk over, and Woody is telling all the other toys that are his disciples that he's going to die. But it's okay, because he's going to rise again. Because this little guy's processing death. He's just trying to figure it out. He, he doesn't have the full... And he has some family members who are sick, some older family members. So he's just trying to process it. So Woody tells all the people, Woody dies, Woody, you know, and, and I tell this story. Why do I tell this story? Because Jesus says we need to have a childlike faith. And for some of you, your spiritual life might be going well right now. You might be like, man, I'm, I'm just doing well. But for others of you, you, you might be in a dry season, or even a dark season, like, we, like Pastor Lawrence talked about when we did the Jeremiah series. And faith like a child means just grabbing on to whatever you got and, and saying, God, I want to love you with my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I, I don't have the words or the emotions to deal with it, so I'm going to grab Woody and, and try to use that. So why I bring this up is because I, I don't want you to walk away from this thinking that it's, just, it's easy. You just say, okay, I'm going to love God with my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and it's just going to happen. I want you to think about it, that we're little kids in the eyes of a great father who loves us, and he's willing to work with us in whatever ways we need. Jesus says multiple times to the disciples, like, you need to have faith like a child when you come to me. In Romans 12, it says, therefore, I urge y'all, this is the, the new Southern translation, I, I added that. There's no real new Southern translation. I wanted to say that because the you in English, sometimes we read it as ourselves. American Christians love reading the plural you as, as you, but I want it to be the, the new y'all translation. So, therefore, I urge you all, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is Paul telling them, like, do what Jesus says. Love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then he goes on and he says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Then you will be able, then y'all will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual beings. 
So to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, it's just saying like, we're already gonna love something. Our affections are gonna move towards something. Whether it's things of the world, things that we desire, all God's saying is, put me first. Trust me. Grab on to whatever you need to. Grab on to me and hold on and trust me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, offer your bodies. But you're not offering your bodies to someone who's like, well, God's not up there. Hmm, let me see. Maybe, maybe I'll, yeah, that's, I like that sacrifice, so I'll accept you. No. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's the creator God. So offering our bodies to him is the best thing we can do. It's like a fish in water. It's, it's like, it's, it is it. It is life. Turning our affections, turning our lives, surrendering to the creator God is loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then he gives us our life back. It doesn't mean we go live in a cave and be a monk and sell everything. We need to live in America. We need a house. We need a car. We need money. We need a job. We need these things. God knows that. But what he wants is us to focus on him and, and dwell in him and let our lives be a sacrifice to him. Going back to that Deuteronomy passage that Jesus quotes when he says this, that just make it part of who you are. How can we make God part of every part of our being? How can we wake up in the morning and just say, God, I don't feel it, but I'm going to honor you today. Or God, I'm really excited. How can I honor you and not rely on my own strength because I'm really pumped today? God wants to look at us, and, 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 and he just wants us to love him. And, but he wants to shower his love and his, his acceptance and his forgiveness back to us. And how can we go out and love a broken and hurting world? Only because God loved us first. So you see how the, this and this, I stole this back in the 90s. I don't know how many, I've heard this 50 million times. There's the vertical and the horizontal. You have this relationship with God and that bleeds out into this. If you don't have this, it probably means you're not really loving God, but if you just have this, and Peter will share more about this, eventually it'll fade out because you need to be connected to the source. And that's, that's another sermon for the next couple weeks. So what can we do? At Waypoint, part of, this is why we're giving this sermon today. We set up structures and rhythms as a local church to help our people. And this doesn't mean just helping the this congregation. The staff, we, we do this too. When we ask you all to do something, we do it too. Sunday worship, prayer, community groups, fellowship events, men's and women's Bible studies, the Bible reading plan, forums, mini conferences, dwell, which we're trying to get people to go live intentionally in a, in a community, outreach opportunities, mission trips, all these things are for us as a group to come together and live it out. That Romans passage I, I read to you, Romans 12, 1 and 2, right after it, immediately after it, the rest, all Romans 12 through 16 is how to live in gospel community. That's it. So we live these transformed lives to live in gospel community. Read Romans 12, 13. I mean, 3, 4, 5, 6. It's about being one body with many parts. So let's do it. Um, we have something called Waypoint Academy. And in Waypoint Academy, we... It's hard to read. But it says, Waypoint Academies is a series of classes taught by the pastor, staff, and ministry leaders of Waypoint Church to help our church communities grow in their knowledge of God, their wisdom, and their love for others. And then look at the list. So Waypoint Academy 100 level is really just 
for those of you who are new to the faith, new to Christianity, or those who didn't have a good foundation, we're going to have these classes available. Then the 200 level is what we want everyone to be a part of. Discovering the Trinity, the grand story of the Bible, spiritual formation. How do you live this out in community and individually? Introduction to theology, worship in the church, hospitality and gospel community, everyday evangelism, missions in the nation. So we're, we're putting these things in place to develop our minds and our hearts and our bodies as a community. So we're, everything we do, we pray about, it's intentional to help you guys and help ourselves continue to be the local church that loves God and loves others. So I'm going to end the sermon with this. I'm not sure where you are today. I'm not sure if things are going well, if you feel close to God, if it's been a dry season, like I said, or a dark season, or you're just really on fire. We know that God loves you, God forgives you, God made you for a relationship with Him and with others. Come to Him with whatever strength you can muster. And I'm going to put a question up, we're going to reflect on it, and then Pastor Lawrence is going to lead us in communion. So let's put the question up. It says, what would it look like for you you, not other people, you right now in your circumstances, what you can grab onto to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Just take a few minutes silently in your chair, and then Pastor Lawrence is going to come up and lead us in communion. Church, we've been given this special gift called communion. And as we call it, it's the Lord's Supper. And oftentimes people, when we think about the Lord's Supper, they focus only on the Last Supper of Jesus. Am I right? They focus on that time where Jesus gathered his disciples and he gave this beautiful gift of sacrament to us. But guys, I want us to remember that it called, it's called the Lord's Supper because it's not just a time of remembrance. It's also a time of anticipation. It's called the Lord's Supper because we do this in remembrance of him until he comes back. But we also do this with eager anticipation that one day the wedding feast of the Lamb will be complete. Right? We take this meal together to remember and to look forward. Guys, I liken it to an anniversary date. Right? When you go out on an anniversary date, it's like your 10-year anniversary and you go out to dinner. And you go out on your anniversary date, you, what you do is you, you can celebrate, God, look what you've done in the past 10 years of our marriage relationship. We thank you for our wedding and that joyous day, but God, we also thank you for the next years that you're going to give us. That we get to celebrate together. And we look eagerly forward to those times. Guys, when we come to communion together, this is a time of, of remembrance and anticipation. This is also a time in the present that we get to receive the benefits of being covenant people. We get to receive the benefits of intimacy, of loving God with all your heart, mind, strength, and body, all of, all of who you are. And this is a time that we get to practice what the very element of, of what, what Pastor Danny preached on is communion is a time for us to say with our, with our intellect, with our thoughts, with our emotions, with our gut. I love the fact that communion revolves around something so simple that we need, like, like eating and drinking. 
Something so basic, so simple, that's part of just what we need to do every day. But every day reminds us that with all of us, this is with everything that we partake, we need you, Jesus. We profess it, we proclaim it. So we come to communion together as a family. This is what we're doing. We're remembering, we're anticipating, and we're worshiping and loving God with everything. Amen? Amen. Communion is a time for those who know Jesus, who, who profess him and confess to him and believe in his name to come together for a family meal. And this is what the Lord Jesus said the night he was betrayed. He took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way he took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever we, you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we come together and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our hope. Our promise. So here at Waypoint, we practice communion through intention. And that's intentional. It's, it's an opportunity for you to come and receive the bread. And then you dip it in the cup. And you, we invite you to receive it. And you can take it back to your chair. You can eat it on your way. You can eat it at your chair. You can eat it right away. You can pray there. You can pray here. But we invite you to receive this as a body together. There will be four different station servers at each end of each aisle. We invite each section to go down to each aisle. So that section to go down to this aisle, this section, this aisle, this section here, and that section there, and then go and receive and go out that way. And we invite you, we, I, I go ahead and invite the servers to kind of come up first. And the invitation for those who, who believe to come and partake and receive this communion meal together. And I want you to know, Waypoint family, that this is just one of our ways that we can practice what it is to worship and to love God with everything. So as you feel led, let me pray for us and then come and receive communion. God, we thank you. We thank you for this gift of the Lord's Supper. God, for the remembrance and for the anticipation. God, for the, for the intimacy and for the joy. And God, for the family meal that we get to love you now. So I pray, Lord, during this time, this sacrament, may we fall deeper in love with you. May we worship you and we love you from the depths of our guts to, to all of our hearts, God, to all of our thinking with all of our exceeding might. May we know you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.